His disciples asked for help with prayer. He gave them the most beautifully simple and yet spiritually profound outline that we know as the Lord's Prayer. And we've just had read for us. Thank you for that, Mamie. It is an utterly extraordinary prayer. It's so familiar to us. But as we look at it closely, it's, we realise why it's cherished by Christians everywhere and has been for forever, really, since Jesus. Because in it, our Saviour has brilliantly summarised the kinds of requests that God delights to answer. Now, I have to tell you, this is something quite radical, quite extreme. A couple of years ago in the UK, uh, the Church of England decided quite radically to have a campaign on the Lord's Prayer. They even tried to put billboards and they put advertising in cinemas and it was banned because it was too outrageously controversial. So we're going to do something very radical. We're going to look. We're going to look at this over uh, in December, January, as we begin a new church year. Today is Advent Sunday, the beginning of a new church year together. And we begin by coming to our Lord because Jesus knew that we struggled. It's not just me. I know that you will have your struggles with prayer. And we need more than techniques. We need more than just challenges. What I believe under God we need is a fresh appreciation of We need to glimpse his magnificent character and plans for his kingdom and for our world. And as we see the Father described in Jesus' prayer, we find ourselves lifted up in wonder to delight in him. Our cold hearts are warmed, our our stifled tongues are released to pray. That's what I'm hoping will be the outcome of this series we're doing on the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer, friends, is all about enjoying God. That's my hope do this series in the Lord's Prayer, that we'll enjoy God together. One commentator says, I find the Lord's Prayer exhilarating. It's been a lifeline from from God, dragging my proud heart to Him. I couldn't survive without it. And we all know that the quality of any relationship depends on communication. So it is with us and God. And it's said that this Lord's Prayer and prayer itself is the highest activity of human soul. And as we read through the Scripture, realise how much the Bible rejoices in the privilege of prayer And what is so strange then is that for us Christians, we are so often prayerless. Why is that? How strange it is. How could that be? In the words of the famous hymn, what a friend we have, all our sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry everything to God. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry. So why don't we pray? Well, We're all familiar with the excuses because these are the excuses I give, so I'm sure they're the same as you. We're too busy, we're too stressed, we're too crushed by disappointment, life just too crazy. And if we're honest, there's a worldliness that has crept into our hearts. There's a cynicism. I mean, does prayer really change anything after all anyway? You know, God's in control. Why does he need me to pray? Easier to immerse ourselves in the worlds of entertainment, of Netflix, of social media, of getting to the gym... Uh, or whatever it might be. Too often we've got that selfish ambition which cares about our priorities, what we need to get done and pushes God's priorities to one side. We give him the leftover. We feel overwhelmed by busyness and we neglect the joy of time with our... And that's because prayer is both natural on the one hand and unnatural. Natural and unnatural. Let me show you. In some ways nothing is more natural than prayer. 
You know, we're made in the image of the relational triune God, eternally communing with one another. Indeed, as Christians, we're caught up into that. God has so hardwired that prayer is part of every human being on the planet. Every person prays at some point in their life, whatever their religious outlook. And yet, on the other hand, it's profoundly unnatural because of our sin and our pride, which says, I don't need God, I've got this. No thanks, God, I'll do it my way, thanks. And so Christian prayer remains a struggle because we face the continuing opposition of the world, the flesh and the devil. It's like there's this tug of war, a spiritual tug of war, the Holy Spirit you know, and the flesh, the Holy Spirit and the flesh tugging at our hearts. And we need to fight to pray because prayer is that essential means of putting our faith and trust in Jesus for our salvation of committing our hearts and our lives to him. It's the, it's the measure of our faith, of our dependence on Jesus day by day. It gives us the greatest encouragement. It gives us the strength to be holy. It's a fight and it prevents us from backsliding, of drifting away from God and his priorities. It's the surest way of finding real contentment and joy and peace and hope and happiness in life, the thing that we all crave and we seek for in all these other things that just to you that prayer is truly wonderful. Because where do we find help? Lord, please. In uh, Luke 11 and in Matthew 6, we, we see it here. In Luke 11, he didn't rebuke them. He didn't embarrass them. He taught them very simply the Lord's Prayer. And he shows us the Lord's Prayer is what we need. It's the heart and soul of prayer. You know, apparently the legendary golfer, Jack Nicholas, who some of you might remember, he would return every year to see his golf coach and ask him, teach me again to play golf. He knew he had to keep returning to the fundamentals of the game to master them and to develop as a golfer. Maybe that's mine. Um, it's the same for prayer. We need to keep going back and asking him, Lord, teach us to doing this summer. Over December and January, we're going to keep asking him these questions But why is this so important for us to keep asking this? Lord, teach us to pray. Well, it's a great prayer for us because it's it's coming from the Master himself, the Lord of prayer. Because Jesus understands human life in all its challenges, in all its joys, in all its struggles, in the pain and in the excitement of life. Jesus practiced what he preached. He spent time in the early in the morning, up on a mountain, in the Garden of Gethsemane with tears, And as he hung there on the cross, he is the expert in prayer, the Lord of prayer. And he shows us the fundamentals better than any golf pro and has adopted. We need to learn how to talk to our father. We need the language to learn from our older brother, the son of God. He's been doing it forever and he can show us what we need to do. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us to pray this way. And the second thing The second reason why it's so important for us to get this is the Lord's Prayer has many applications for everyday situations. In fact, it's incredibly flexible. This is the kind of prayer Jesus seemed to use on many occasions. You're not Matthew 6 and Luke 11. It's actually all through the Gospels. You can see elements of it there of putting, seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. It's the way he taught about the kingdom. It's the model prayer. It's the pattern for prayer. And it's simple enough for the baby Christian And it's profound enough for the mature Christian to enlarge and enrich theologically and practically. And as we will discover in coming weeks, the principles that we find in this Lord, they will equip every day, for every moment, for every situation. The Lord's Prayer teaches us something very important. He equips us. And it's not just a suggestion by Jesus. Did you notice? It's a command. 
This is how Christians must pray. This is the pattern. This is the sort of thing that needs to be at the forefront of our prayers, not the shopping list that so quickly we come to. Oh, God, do this for me, and if I really like this to happen. No, this is how we should pray. It's God-centred. It's kingdom-focused. When we're spiritually dry, when we're physically weak, when we're emotionally low, it is a wonderfully... You know, when I visit people in hospital and they're too weak to speak, we can pray. You see the eyes light. I'm visiting a dear lady from this church, Betty Hansen. Now, many of you won't know Betty Hansen, but she had a strong faith. But in her later years, she was in a nursing home. And dear Betty, she, uh, she wasn't sure where her husband was. He died 20 years ago, but why he hadn't come to see her. And she couldn't quite remember which rector of St. Martin's I was, but she knew that somehow I was the minister. But when we prayed of the prayer she'd learned, it's a wonderful prayer. And thirdly, it's, it, it's an extraordinary summary of the gospel and of the impact of the gospel in your daily life. Do you realise what a treasure this is? Through Christ, God is our Father, the opening address, our Father. It, he's our Lord, Jesus is our Lord, the first three petitions, and he's our Saviour, the, the final three petitions. And it concerns the future hope of the kingdom and the present realities of life in this world. In the words of Matthew Henry, the great commentator, it is remarkably concise and yet vastly comprehensive. And so the Lord's Prayer crystallises Jesus' priorities for our lives. It's what it means to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He gave us this prayer to help us day by day to say our prayers. And we'd be incredibly foolish, incredibly arrogant to ignore Jesus' advice. No, not advice, his command. And to forfeit the intense delights of enjoying God in the Lord's Prayer. And so Jesus is saying to each one of us here this this is how you should pray. And just this morning I want you to notice how it begins. It begins like this. Our Father. Now it's said that, you know, the the great British wartime leader, Sir Winston Churchill, uh, was once famously chastised by these words. If I were your wife, I'd put poison in your tea. To which he replied with his usual lightning wit, Dear madam, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. So uh, I know that uh, Phoebe and Linda are on morning tea this morning, so look out. I I can say that to to Phoebe and to Linda this morning because, you know, we're friends, right? And the same with Winston Churchill. If the words came from a, a stranger, they'd be rude or cruel, wouldn't they? But between old friends... That's how we speak. That's the, that's how, that's how, that's the banter, right? How we speak with someone depends on our relationship with them. And so it is with prayer. You know, people of different religions pray in very different ways. Maybe you've noticed that, or maybe you have friends from different religions. Think about how they pray. Uh, it often depends on the picture of the God to whom they pray to. A Muslim will repeat ritual prayers five times a day for a distant judge. A Buddhist will meditate silently upon their own inner being. A Roman Catholic nun will quietly intone the Hail Mary as she fingers the rosary beads. But Jesus began the Lord's Prayer with the most mind-blowing words, Our Father, our Father in heaven. And what those words do is they clarify the relationship. They're so shocking But they're so familiar to us, we may have missed how shocking they truly are. Because in those words, in that original, in the original Aramaic, they're the words Abba, Dada, Dad. It's it's the intimate relationship of a child to their dad. 
So our prayers are addressed to the transcendent creator, the omnipotent ruler, the Lord of lords of the universe, the terrifying judge of the world, and we get to call him dad. What was Jesus thinking? I mean, among all the thousands of names invented by God, as in, invented by, for God by man, nothing remotely compares to this almost blasphemous irreverence, calling the supreme being of the universe, hey dad, our father. Certainly the Jews never addressed God like that. And so Jesus wants us to understand the extraordinary relationship we have with our dad in heaven, the one to whom we pray. Because the reality that this expresses is that we are God's adopted. How beautiful is it? How, how wonderful is it that we can call God our heavenly dad with all the affection, with all the intimacy, Indeed, in this whole context, Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. Did you notice in that passage, just cast your eye down, how many times he calls God Father, your Father, our Father, all the motivation. I want you to take this motivation and to use it as the power in your prayers this week, okay? I want you to start with this, our Father, because it summarises the miracle of God's grace in Christ to us that we could call him Dad, the whole message of Scripture, the whole heartbeat of Christian living and the supreme glory of God. You know, I'm convinced most of our problem prayer, most of our struggles with prayer originate from a failure to comprehend just those our Father. You see, the key to growth in prayer, well, you want to know what the secret is? It's not a better technique, not lessons on how to pray, but in whom we pray to. It's not about meeting the prayer warriors of history who got up at 4am in the morning and prayed for three hours before we would even likely be up ready for breakfast to get our train in the morning. No, it's not looking to those prayer warriors. It's not looking to celebrity Christians with amazing prayer lives. But it's about meeting our Father in heaven, about enjoying our relationship with our dad. Grasping this little phrase, I believe, transforms prayer from, from pointless burden to daily delight. We need to know what it means to call God our Father in heaven. So what does that mean? Well, let's start by seeing what it meant for Jesus, because he is the original son. Well, Jesus had three great reasons to call God Father. The first one was that Israel was called God's first child. You see, when God rescued God's people, when, when he rescued Israel out of slavery, out of the slavery of Egypt, and into the promised land, he redeemed them and he birthed the nation of Israel and called them his children. And when they rebelled against God, he was grieved as a father for a wayward son. The second thing we see throughout the Old Testament is the Messiah is called God's son. God promised a descendant to King David. You know, a son, a grandson, great, 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 grandson eventually who would rule forever as the king, God's eternal king. And when Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, God seated him at the right hand and so that he is forever the son of God ruling over everything. He is king of kings and lord of lords, King Jesus. And thirdly, Christ is God's eternal son, the word become flesh. That's where we're introduced to the second person of the God reveals himself in the humanity of Jesus. Fully God, fully human. No surprise to see Jesus, Abba. And what a glorious... We're invited to pray, to have that intimacy of relationship as the children of the living God. We're not naturally. Yes, we're created by God. We're created in God's, 
but it's only by faith in Jesus Christ that you are adopted into God's family. It's only by faith in Jesus that you become a child of God. By God's grace, Christians are born again. We're all born of our mother, but we need to be born again to become a child of God through the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, adopters. Okay, that's what it means for us. It means we can enjoy the tender compassion, the tender love and the care that he provides for our daily needs. He cares and provides. He leads us on the right path. So we're not alone, never alone, enabling us to put off the old and to put on the new, to look forward to the kingdom of heaven, empowered to know Christ, to grow like Christ and to serve the body of Christ. The second benefit, the second joy of being a child of God is we enjoy the comfort of the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in the family. You know, Christmas lunch, we're all here. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper. We're going to gather as a family here with our our spiritual brothers and sisters in the family of God, carrying our burdens supporting one another in times of need, rejoicing when one rejoices, mourning when one mourns, speaking the truth in love and teaching one another the faith of Christ so we can all be built up. Third benefit to call God our Father is that we enjoy an inheritance of God. See, it's, only, it's the kids who get the inheritance, right? As heirs of God, sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the deposit, he guarantees our inheritance. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. And fourthly and finally, the benefit, the, the benefit of being a child of God is that we enjoy the constant attention of God, who, as the psalmist writes in Psalm 34, he always hears us. Psalm 34 says, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. Do you know that God hears speak? He's not distant. He's not far away as if you need to shout to be heard. You're in your heart. He cares and he hears. I mean, who do you call when you help? You know, SES, quick, there's a tree on my roof. You know, um, uh, police, help, there's someone robbing my house. Ambulance, quick, I need help to go to hospital. We know who to call. But why are we so often reluctant to pray to our Father in heaven? What a wonderful reminder that we share in the amazing privilege in Christ of talking to God, Almighty God, our Father. What a privilege to carry every this. Well, we'll be learning about this uh, over this series in December and January. And I want... Uh, my, my real hope is every single one of us will see of praying to our dad. Because pleasing our father is the dominant theme of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, let your light so shine before people that they'll see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Unlike those religious hypocrites who, look for impre- who try to look impressive so people can see how pious they are when they pray for popular acclaim. Or unlike the babbling pagans who say all these words but they mean nothing. We don't try and manipulate God. He's not some genie in a vending machine. The Lord's Prayer, the priorities of... And so prayer is not about getting what we want, but about wanting what God wants for us, for our best and for others. Further, being with our Father, enjoying that relationship. Because our means... He's our Father. He's our Father, friend. And that reminds us to pray for others. And nowhere in this prayer is there an I or a me. So prone to pray selfishly. But Jesus is teaching us to pray generously for the rest of the family. And when we say in heaven, I think he's reminding us of how great, but he's immeasurably greater than us. And so our joy is deep and vibrant as we, whether we physically get down on our knees when we say our prayers or whether we kneel in our hearts 
We are kneeling before the King of Kings, the Lord's, our Father in heaven. So I want to say to you, as we say, and we're going to say the Lord's Prayer today, when you say it, I want you to say those words and to know that God, human fathers often only love us weakly. I know my constant failing. Only if they have the time, the energy, and sufficiently low alcohol levels, our Heavenly Father is quite different. Although we are more sinful, we are more loved than we ever dared hope. Jesus, our older brother, is teaching us, just ask Dad. He loves you, don't you know? teaching us very beginning work. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the privilege of prayer, of coming to you. We pray you'd continue to teach us as we learn from this prayer how awesome that is, that we might enjoy it.